right, good afternoon and welcome to our virtual funding and pitching workshop. I'm Deanna Liblast, I'm based out of Orlando and I will be the moderator for this afternoon. Today's session provides a great opportunity if you're looking into starting or already have a business ministry and you're looking for ways on how to build a strong financial support, our goal is to provide the resources for you to learn about pitching an idea or product to the market and potential investors. Throughout the session, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to, to put these all in the chat feature. And I will be sharing these with Jesse and we will be going over all of these questions um, after his presentation. So let me introduce our guest speaker for today. His name is Jesse Zwicker. Hopefully I said his last name correctly or he can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, he was born in Switzerland and is a passionate and is passionate is a passionate missional entrepreneur and has founded several ventures in the for-profit and the, in the non-profit sector. As a business consultant, Jesse has helped companies in over 20 countries become more profitable and spiritually impactful. He is the founder of Hive International, a global community of Adventist innovators, and has recently been elected as vice president of Outpost Centers International. He lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, together with his wife and his two children. And speaking with him for a couple of minutes before this presentation, he shared a lot of um, the great wealth of knowledge he has. So it's truly a privilege for him to join us this afternoon and share his experience with us. So thank you for being with us today, Jesse. Before we get started, I'd like to have a quick prayer. So please join me. Dear Jesus, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity and this opportunity that we have to be able to learn from Jesse and be able to connect with other young professionals. We ask that you please guide our discussion, guide the, dis the presentation, and give us all wisdom and direction as to where you want us all to go um, as, we, as we move forward, wanting to spread um, the message around the world. Thank you for everything that you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Without further ado, Jesse, I will turn it over to you. Thank you very much. And um, I just shared my presentation. I hope you can all see it. Let me see if I can go on full screen. Here we go. Okie dokie. All right, guys. Uh, welcome to this workshop. We're going to learn a little bit more on how to pitch some of the best practices that we have learned in Hive. Uh, Hive, at, at any of our events, we help Avenist young people to connect to Avenist investors and have them pitch. We do a hackathon and we, and, and we do a, this pitch competition, kind of like having a shark tank. So, so, um, um, so from that, we've gained some experience and also, of course, from Silicon Valley and, and, and other places where they do lots of this. Um, and I put this together for you, to, for you to have some of these here and you don't have to go searching for it like like I did and practice and do a lot of mistakes like, like I've done in the past. Uh, thankfully, you know, a number of them, a number of pitches at least that I've had uh, were also a blessing and were a success. And uh, we were able to raise a lot of money for a number of projects. And uh, the, my experience is in different areas, is in pitching to investors, but also pitching to like the church, uh, pitching to uh, donors. So there's a number of different ways to pitch. And 
each one of those is vastly different how you pitch. So, um, but the basic idea of how pitching works is really the big question is how do I package my idea in order for it to really attract the investors? So how do I really package the idea? That's the big question. It's, it's, all, it's really about selling uh, the idea well. Now, selling sounds like really like a worldly thing, but really evangelism is also selling. It's selling an idea. It's selling the idea about God to the world, right? And th- God is actually a loving God. And, and the question of how we package that idea is actually really important. And very often we have not really paid attention to that, that, that the reality of what we're doing in evangelism is also actually packaging things right. And because we have done poor packaging in the past, uh, people are less attracted to really, um, yeah, doing evangelism. So the first question that you need to ask yourself is who is my investor? So are you, inv- are you um, trying to get the church to buy in, to get church funds, local church funds, conference funds, or division and GC funds? Or are you looking at donors um, that are used to donating funds to, to nonprofits? Or are you looking at investors that are looking at equity? Or, or are you looking at a bank or other uh, lenders? Uh, you know, angel investors or whatever that are looking at different models, either loans or whatever. So in each of these cases, you are, there's really rules on how to pitch your idea. Usually you want to look at in three different levels. What is their capacity to give you money? What is their interest? Like, are they interested in startups? Or are they interested in baptism numbers, are they interested in health work? So all of these, if you get them on the wrong topic, then you can have the best pitch in the world. They'll never, they'll never invest in you because that's not part of what they want to be uh, investing in. Uh, and the other one is really the model. How should they invest? What are they expecting? Some donors like, or some investors like to match funds. They never put the first part into the into the into the project they always say hey if you get a hundred thousand then i'll put i'll match that right so looking at what the different models are of the people or if they're just willing to donate or if they're just or they're really willing to just give a loan to pay back or an, an unsecured loan or whatever so there's a number of models or they want equity or they want royalty whatever right so there's a number of ways uh, a number of models that you need to be looking at. The truth about the whole idea, this this whole pitching thing is that your idea, uh, your startup is really just a hypothesis. Even if your startup is already running and already has some sales, it's still a hypothesis. uh, And and even worse, if it's just an idea and you haven't uh, developed it into an MVP or into like a minimum viable product yet, uh, it's really just an, a hypothesis, an assumption that really needs to be tested first whether this is going to work. So, uh, and this is key to remember when you're presenting it is to try to uh, show that your hypothesis 
is backed by some solid numbers, solid figures uh, from the market, from your traction, from different things uh, that, you can, that you can do. So let's look at the basic DNA of a startup idea or of a startup. Uh, basically, every startup has three main components. These three components are the problem. You need to identify the problem in, in the market and you try to identify a solution to that problem. And every startup idea needs to have an insight that is that is uh, that makes you be uniquely positioned to be able to solve this problem better than anybody else out there. That's just part of uh, finding a startup that actually works. So uh, you can find a number of of problems and solutions uh, to different things, but if you don't have that insight or 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 you know you can say you can call it an unfair advantage um, in that space, uh, then then you will potentially not be as successful. So these are the three building blocks of any startup. And uh, we use that to, 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 to present that to investors. So, so thinking back now to the investor, the investor usually has these three top questions in his mind. And we're gonna go through how to answer these three questions here in a little bit. The first question that they, that they have is, do I understand the idea? Now, usually if a startup doesn't have a lot of sales, they're just really in the startup phase, they're still a, almost still an idea. Uh, most founders have a really hard time presenting their idea in an understandable way. The only way they will remember your idea is if they have understood it. If they don't understand it, and unfortunately, I would say even a majority of the cases where people present their idea at the end of the pitch, the, 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 the investors are still there and saying, so what exactly are you selling? You know, and, and they're not, they're not sure about the idea because they haven't understood the idea because the pitch was so bad. Sorry to say uh, that it wasn't clear enough. It wasn't concise enough to be able to just explain what the idea really is. The second question that they have is, am I excited about this idea? Excitement is based off of, you know, most usually two main things. Is it, does it have a big impact in society? Uh, does it have a spiritual impact? Does it, you know, get Bible studies or whatever? Uh, if you're looking at spiritual things and then the other, the main thing usually out in, in the, in the world, in the best practices is really like, market potential, right? So if you have market size, uh, if, you, if your idea is very unique um, to be able to solve this problem, and if this problem is really a problem in society and it's not just an invention that you had. So, so um, that makes an investor be excited about the project. So these are, these are, the, these are the, the two uh, high, tough questions about the idea. And then the third one is really, do I like the team? Do I like the people that are that are talking to me? Uh, do they seem in? Do they have integrity? Do they are they competent? Are they humble? Do they take advice? You know, are they? Do they still have uh, persistence? And this is one of the biggest things: is that uh, most ideas fail not because they uh, are not good ideas, 
but because the founders are not willing to roll with the punches in startup development. Startup development, it's all about, you know, iterating and pivoting into a product, a final product that actually is going to take off. Uh, most people fall in love with their solution to that problem. And, and then when that solution doesn't turn out to be the right one, then they drop it. And so investors usually um, want to find people that are committed to solving a problem, not committed to executing a solution because the solution can vary to that problem. So, so, so an agile person that is very committed, persistent in being able to execute these ideas. So these are the three big questions that, that these guys have. So let's jump into the first one, the problem, uh, to just understand uh, what, what goes on in investors' mind to, tr to try to understand whether an idea is a, a, a whether the problem is a good problem to, to solve or a negative problem to solve, uh, not a relevant problem. There's a lot of problems out there, but not all of them are very relevant. So, so these are basically the six big, uh, big things that, that go, go in, the start, in, the, in the investor's mind and should be in the startup's mind, and you should have answers to this. So is it a popular problem? Like how many people have this problem? Is it a growing problem? Is the trend going up or is it going down? Are you starting a radio station or a TV station or are you doing on, on demand, you know, whatever? So, so is, it, is it growing or is it coming down? Are you making books or are you making uh, movies, right? So there's a, there's a, you, can, you can tell there's a difference in the, in the trend. Then is it urgent? Is the problem urgent to be solved? Do people really like feel the need very strongly? Then is it expensive for them? To, uh, to solve this problem now, you know, how expensive is that? Uh, how the way they're currently trying to do that? And then, and then is it a mandatory problem? Which means like, did a law change in, in society? All companies have to do health, health programs for their employees. Okay, well then start a health employee, uh, um, a corporate, you know, health startup you'll probably get business regardless of how anything else looks because it's a mandatory thing. Now it's pushing everybody into it. And then how frequent is that problem? So how often do I need this thing? You know, if it's a once in a lifetime, well, then the, mar the, 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 um, the marketability and the, the really the potential for, for building that, um, that startup is not as high as if it was an hourly thing, right? So in ideals, when we're thinking of like really having strong, strong impact in their minds, they're thinking, okay, popular means at least, you know, a million plus, right? Uh, if it's growing, it's 20% a year th uh, that the market is growing or maybe 10%, right? Uh, these are big numbers, right? This is totally ideal. So most of our markets are not, you know, if you started a, a mask selling business, then you were in a more than 20% a year growth market right now. And you could probably actually, there's like, I just saw a study is like 60,000 vendors were out there in May or was it May? Uh, and each one of them sold, sold masks. So, 
So, you know, you, could, you, will, you will sell something if you sell something that is really in a growing market. Uh, uh, the, how urgent it is, I need it right now. Uh, it should be that the market size should be, you know, a billion dollar if it's possible. And then the law changed. Uh, and then of course, how frequent is the hourly thing that we already talked about. So um, most startups, unfortunately start with their solution and that's uh, a big a big a big disaster and we have this this phenomenon in startup development that we call the CISP phenomenon it's the solution in search of a problem so an engineer or a health practitioner or whatever they they come up with a cool gadget or a cool you know application or whatever they have they have their their thing their health whatever and now they're saying okay now who which which problem can we solve with this thing so uh that usually is a is the a bad way to approach it um if you're doing that then it's worth going stepping back and getting into the problem first trying to really identify the problem really really well and then be able to uh openly ideate on I have a template when I do consulting with people, I, you know, they need to come up with at least 20 different ideas on how to solve that same problem. So this is uh, really crucial. So uh, when we do this with the Hive, when we do consulting with Hive, you know, it's, it's really important to really broaden your perspective in terms of what solutions you could get. The other thing is the insight. The insight is really the the unfair advantage or the, your competitive advantage uh, in the market. And, you know, competitive advantage sounds kind of worldly, but really what it is, it means why, did, why is God asking you to start this startup to, do, to, to solve this problem over anybody else, right? Everybody has a calling, but not everybody has to solve the same problem. And the, re and the question here is, why would God want to ask you to solve this problem? What's the, what's the advantage that, that, uh, that God sees in your startup to be able to do this? And the unfair advantage, it can't be, well, because you have a, a, a spiritual approach to health, right? So if that were the unfair advantage, it's not necessarily related to growth. Then uh, if that were good if that were uh, your your unique selling proposition your unfair advantage then you uh we would probably already be uh have have preached the gospel unto every nation if people would come to us just because we offer you know having a spiritual approach um unfortunately that doesn't work so you need to really find an unfair advantage that is marketable or that is actually a a need that society has uh, that they feel, you know, we know that they have that need, but they don't feel that need. So you need to find something that they feel and that becomes then an, an unfair advantage that is related to growth, to the growth of your startup. If you don't have that, then you're going to have a very hard time developing um, or selling your idea to, to any investors. So here are some ideas, some, some of these unfair advantages that you have. Uh, if you have a founder advantage, that would mean that you have, you're basically, you have 
uh, skills or capacity or something that only one in 10 of the entire world have. So if you did a PhD in some, some obscure thing and you created a product and you have a patent on it and nobody else has that, well, then that's, that's part of a founder's advantage, right? But usually, you know, just because you're a health professional does, or whatever, that doesn't mean that you have a founder advantage. Uh, so market, yeah, if you're in a, in a growing market, uh, it's inevitable that you're gonna, that you're gonna, uh, that it's gonna grow. So uh, investors are more interested in selling, in, in investing. If your product is 10 times better than anything that's out there, uh, then it makes it more interesting, of course, right? Uh, if your acquisition cost is basically zero, so you're not paying ads, you're not doing stuff like that to be able to gain traction, but it's basically through word of mouth that, uh, that it's really taking off. That is a big indicator that you have some kind of an advantage. Uh, and if part of your, your building, uh, your startup um, idea is building a, what we call a monopoly effect. Monopoly effect means that, you know, it's like Facebook has an, a monopoly effect. If you have more people joining on Facebook, more of your friends, uh, then the equity in, the, in Facebook becomes much more valuable, more valuable, because it's very difficult for other people to then try to disrupt Facebook because they can start another social network, but until they get all of your friends off of there and use that platform, it's very, very uh, complicated and it gets more difficult over time. So it grows into more of a monopoly over time. So if that is part of the design of your startup, that's, a, that's quite an advantage as well. So let's go into just simply the first thing that they have. They need to understand your idea. So your idea really needs to be very, very legible. It needs to be very simple and it needs to be very obvious. So this is one of the most complicated things that I'm asking uh, of people to do usually because they cannot say what they're doing in one sentence. They can't do it. It's very, very difficult for people. And if they say it in one sentence, it becomes so obscure and either so long sentence with so many commas that, it, that it's not a sentence anymore. And, and if they reduce it, then it's like, uh, then they're not saying anything anymore and uh, it's too general. So, so really trying to make things legible. So big, you know, especially when you're presenting your picture, not a lot of text on any slide um, and make it very, very simple and obvious for people to see what it is. So avoid ambiguity, complexity, mystery, like some people wanna like not say everything and by not saying everything, they hope that, they're, that the investor is gonna be more interested and asking more questions. This is, not, this is usually not the case. Uh, they will simply ignore you if you don't, uh, if they didn't get it, right, uh, at the start. So, so uh, also, Difficult terms, if you're using jargon, you know, it's very difficult for people to follow. And that makes it not um, interesting for them. 
the basic three questions, and this is part of like the first slide, right? The first thing you want to say is you need to answer in one sentence, you need to answer these three, these three questions. What are you making? Like, what is it that you're making? Are you building a marketplace? Are you building a, an agency? Are you building a, um, you know, a consultancy? What are you building, right? Uh, is it a restaurant? Is it, what is it, right? The second one is what is the problem that you're solving and who is the customer that you're trying to reach? So these are the three big things that you need to have in that one sentence and, and everything else can wait. So the big thing is to be very, very clear, as clear as possible. Uh, you need to lead with what, not with why nor how. Most founders try to lead with a story or try to lead with a, the why, right? Why did they get into all of this? And they spend half of their pitch telling their story. And the only thing that's in the, in the investor's mind from the very beginning is what are you making? You know, what's the idea, right? And the more you just go blah, 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 talking about all nice, important stuff about why you're doing this, they're not trying to have that question answered yet. They're trying to ask, what are you making? So that's really the first thing to be answering first. Afterwards, you can go into all the explanations of, of, of why and everything else. But at the beginning, you're leading with what is it that you're actually making? So let's look at a, a short example here of a startup um, that creates something here. And this is, this is their first proposal. And the question was, you know, how do we make this into something, into a sentence that really can sell easily and well and make it more legible. So here's like our company will make low cost and low power consumption medical devices based on artificial intelligence and IOT suitable for sub-Saharan communities. So, okay, so did you get what they're making? Well, there's a lot of stuff and jargon and stuff in here that makes it more complicated for you to understand. So let's look at these three questions. Uh, who they are, right? It's this company. Okay, and you can put your name in here. Uh, and then all of this other stuff here. And then you have, okay, what are you making? Uh, it's medical devices that they're making. And for whom? Well, it's for the sub-Saharan com communities. So instead of having all of this text, you can just say, we create affordable medical devices for sub-Saharan Africa. Okay, perfect, right? I already now know what you're making. You're making medical devices uh, for Sub-Saharan Africa. So you already have a, an answer to what uh, in the first slide, basically. A couple of good examples is Dropbox here. Dropbox synchronizes files across your slash your team's computers. It's very, very simple. Uh, this, was very this was a very complicated idea, a very complex idea before it existed, nobody would understand. And so they tried to, they, they tried to really get it into this very easy to understand. Uh, they, they, they really crafted every, every word so that they wouldn't have to 
try to explain what it all means. Airbnb, online marketplace, okay, they're a marketplace that lets travelers book rooms with locals instead of hotels. Okay, so it's travelers is their market that are, that are wanting to book with locals. All right, so we, we have these three big questions answered in one simple sentence. And it explains, it can easily, you can easily take that and explain it to anyone and they will be able to understand that. So this is what was my first part of the presentation. Now we're gonna jump into the second part. And let me just look here what, how much time we have. Uh, I can't see my screen here. Um, anyway. We still have 15 minutes. 15 minutes, perfect. Okay, good. So. Let's go, let's jump into now actually developing a pitch deck for the typical, let's say typical investors. So this is more geared towards investors, uh, potentially donors. Um, the church still has, and other donors also still have this approach that you really need a, a business plan. Even the government, you know, still, if you're, if you're looking for grants from the government, you know, they, they all ask for a a business plan. They don't, they've never heard of a pitch deck before. Um, yeah. So there's, you have to deal with that, right? If they're asking for that, then you probably have to build a, uh, a business plan. You should have a simple business plan, at least a financial plan. Uh, you should have together and answer the most important questions. Uh, but the pitch deck is really a more simplified version and it a lot of a business plan but at the same time, it allows you to actually answer more of the relevant, the more relevant questions um, for the investors that investors are asking uh, that a business plan usually doesn't um, answer all of it. So let's look at how to create your pitch deck. So we created a simple canvas for Hive, for the, our Hive camps that we do. Um, that you can basically just follow this. If you make a slide for each of these boxes, then you're pretty much good to go. So this is the first half of it, uh, your opening statement, the, you know, ex explaining, you have a number of things here, product, you know, problem solution opportunities, your, your uniqueness, uh, customer traction, financial model that you're using, the competition, and then product demo, if you have it, and at the end, your team, and then the call to action. So these are the, these are the, it's basically one sheet that, uh, that you can use and you can print out. And I'm gonna make this, pro, uh, this thing available for you, the whole presentation. And so you can have it for you to um, look at the details. So, well, let's go into the details of some of these. We're not gonna highlight all of them, some of them so that you really, um, are able to, to have a nice, a nice, at least a nice template. So, uh, first I want to say, and this doesn't have to be at the beginning, right? As I said, you first need to explain the thing, at least on the first slide, then you can go into a story if you want to, but the founding story, so the company story, usually told by the founder is really, it needs to be, if any way possible, it needs to be that you have or had 
a certain problem. Or if you don't have that problem, then at least a close friend of yours or somebody that you care about had that problem. And then you try to figure out a solution to that problem. And part of that is realizing that the current market doesn't solve that problem adequately. So whatever you do, when you tell your story, this needs to be part of your story. So I was just, just doing consulting, helping a guy start a, a diabetes reversal program. Um, and what, what I asked him for the story, like to explain this to your, their customers, like, why do you really care about diabetes, right? And he wasn't exactly sure, but then, but then I told him, well, look into your past and see where the Lord has guided you in the past, where you've been confronted with these diseases. Why, why are you motivated to work on this, right? And then he realized that actually a family member of his had diabetes and almost died of diabetes. And, and that was one of the factors that contributed to him then going into uh, working at lifestyle centers and so forth and, and helping people reverse these kind of lifestyle diseases. And now starting a diabetes coaching uh, program, it, it suddenly everything made sense. The story uh, just got cohesive and started making sense. And it's not just about making money. So that's really important that you have these elements in your founding story. And you should have that. You should mention that in any of your pitch, because this is part of selling the, the, the investors that you, you know, whether you're, they're excited about the team and the team needs to show that they really care about this. So that's part of it. Here's some good books for storytelling uh, that you can, that you can look at. Okay, first, first slide needs to be the logo, very prominent. And then that first sentence that explains in hopefully less than 10 words what exactly it is that you do, right? Answering those three questions that we, that we discussed. Then you go into the problem. The bigger the problem, the better it is. So you explain how, what that problem really is. Uh, and you can, and I have here an example of Airbnb, right? The problem that people have, the big problem is that they're really concerned about money when they're traveling, when they're booking online. So price is an important factor. They, they, part of what they're solving is that when you go to a hotel, you go to a Marriott, you know, you don't feel the, the organic uh, cultural feel of that country that you're going to, it's totally disconnected. And uh, an Airbnb offers that, right? It solves that problem for people. And then it also allows for people, there's no real solution out there uh, for people to book with locals, right? Online. So this was, this was their problem proposition that they had that they were trying to solve uh, with than their solution. When you go into the problem, it's really important to really understand the persona or your target audience and what that ideal person looks like and what, that, what, what the, the, the pains are and the needs are that this, this person has. Next one is opportunity. You need to understand what the, what the market size is of the industry 
and then like the total available market, what they call it. And then there's the, the serviceable market, like really more specific to your niche, your area. And then really what market share of that niche area that you could actually service uh, are you going to penetrate? Are you going to reach? Like what percentage? So these, these uh, three big numbers, at least you should solve, you should have in your theme. And part of that is really understanding what the current offers are in the market and then what is the underserved market. The underserved market is where your unique selling proposition comes out and that is really your opportunity. And trying to understand the size of that opportunity, like how much money is spent on this or would be spent on this, this is what you're trying to figure out. This is what investors are actually looking for. So Airbnb shows this, you, they, they have the total available market that is 2 billion trips booked uh, a year, right? And then you have on just on budget and online trips um, or dollars spent, it's about almost 600,000, uh, 600 million um, dollars spent on budget and online travel. And then out of that, they're looking at a 15% uh, market share, which will be 84 million trips with Airbnb. This is their aim. This is this is what they think they can achieve, and they're selling this idea to the to the to the investors. It's like this is the market cap, so this is as high as we can get, at least in the next few years. So so it gives the it gives the investor an idea. Okay, this is it's gonna be it can be very profitable, or really even in the ideal case. This is not going to be a very profitable venture. So, so uh, that's part of what that helps do. Then you present your solution. What does your solution look like? What do you do? Um, not about selling too much that big idea. They should already know your idea by now. Um, but it's rather about how you're going to make that happen. What does it really look like when it, when the rubber meets the road? This is where they want to see these things and this is where the demo comes in and so forth you can share you know they say these are these are our solutions right you save money when traveling you make money when hosting and you you build this connecting culture and it obviously has this is what it looked like way back when right with the map and where all these things are available and and, and all of that these features that they had on their on their site which wasn't uh wasn't really available for anyone at the time. Then you go into the competition. The competition, you need to have, and every business should have this. If you don't have it, you have a business and you don't have this map, it's worth spending some time actually looking at the competition, looking at everybody that's out there and putting it on a map based on price, low price, high price, and then quality. And quality, depending on your industry, can be different things. It can be high uniqueness. It can be very online versus offline. It can be it can be uh, more based on the Bible, whatever, right? But it needs to be something that is of interest to the market. That's why it's it's a, a quality factor, not just because you think it's good uh, and my product is better than everybody else because it's more Adventist, but rather it's really what, a, what the market is 
also driven to do. So that's the quality, the qualifier that you want to look. Airbnb looked at this. They have a number of this. They have different, uh, uh, they analyze the market in different ways. They have a based here on based on uniqueness, um, but they also have a based on how, how, how easy to use it is and so forth. So they've, they've rated the different um, projects, different companies, their competitors uh, like that. So that helps you to see, okay, this is really what our market position is. The third idea on, in terms of uniqueness or in terms of like these three big identifiers, price, quality, the third one is uniqueness, figuring out what your unique focus is versus all of your competition. If you're starting a lifestyle center, you know, why would I come to your lifestyle center and not to any other lifestyle center? Well, if I have depression, guess where I'm going to go? Well, most probably I'm going to go to Nedley's depression recovery program. Why? Because he's so totally specialized on depression, right? The promise is much higher uh, than if I go to any other lifestyle center that does 10 different diseases and they happen to also do depression. So, but the promise is not as high. So I'd rather go to the specialist. So why are you unique? Why, what makes you different from anybody else? So that's a key, a key uh, thing. So, you know, you can look at it from a competitive advantage. Uh, you can also look at it from a unique selling proposition. They're two uh, similar, but a little bit distinct, <clears throat> distinct here. Uh, competitive advantage also looks at your, the ability of other people to be able to disrupt you if, if, you, if you start this, how easy is it for someone else to, to, um, to, uh, to basically get you, take you out of business uh, and, and uh, a number of other factors. But this is key to really understand what is your competitive advantage and what is your unique selling proposition. Then you need to have at least one slide sharing what your costs are like your, your running costs and what your revenues are. If you have any traction already, if you've sell, sold anything, you'll, you'll, much, you'll be much more likely to be able to make, get an investment. So usually investors will not invest into simply an idea. Uh, most investors will invest into a functioning MVP. So if it's at MVP stage, it's, 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 MVP stage is the minimum viable product stage. So there is a product uh, that you'd spend very little money on. It's kind of like a prototype, but you can also already kind of sell that, at least act like you're selling it and see how much traction you would get, how many people click on, yes, I'm going to buy this. And even if you can't deliver yet, um, but at least then you know, you know, okay, yeah, Wow, 10,000 people just tried to download my product that, that I haven't built yet, but I can show that number to investors and say, okay, people are willing to buy this, right? So uh, an MVP is really like a real scaled down version of the core of your product uh, without investing a lot of money into it, if any way possible. So, and, and with that, then you can actually also prove to the investor that you're not just about talking about nice ideas, you know, everybody has nice ideas, but the distinction is when you're actually acting on those ideas and you've implemented something, you have something that you can show, you have a demo that you can show, 
that uh, something is moving, even if it's not much, but it's moving something uh, that already encourages people. Now, uh, if you look at some donors or also, um, you know, churches that want to invest or conferences, they're usually not as complicated. They're not as experienced in, in analyzing uh, pitches and so forth. So their, their requirements are different and often they don't require any, any pre-work or any of this kind of uh, um, an MVP stage. They, they like the idea on paper and then they'll invest. But you, they, they, you know, investors usually lose more money if that is the stage that they're investing in. So, so the tendency is get your MVP and with your MVP, then you can pitch. Actually, we're doing a global summit of, with Hive and ASI connected together. And anybody from anywhere in the world will be able to pitch their idea at, the, at this global Hive summit. So, uh, and, uh, and you'll be able to you know, get feedback and all of that and present to investors if you get into the, to the latter stages. So, um, so that's a good, a good practice um, area. Business model, you need to present basically what your, what your model is, not all the, all the business, you know, the details, but really what your model is. Are you making a commission, you know, like Airbnb in their original post, uh, in their original pitch, they had a, a commission based off of 10%. So every transaction that happens over the platform is 10% goes to Airbnb. Now it's obviously a little more. Um, but but you just reveal those figures and what that would make, what, what that would do with the, the 84 million, which was the 50% or 15% of the, of the total serviceable market that they presented earlier. And that would make them 200 million, uh, which is the projection that they would have by 2011. That's just a while back, right? Um, and then the average fee, and so uh, is here is 25 bucks that they get per, usually per travel, which is usually a three night travel at 80 bucks a night. So, so that's the average. So you're not explaining all the details. You're trying to simplify the numbers in order for you to really understand your business model better. Uh, many startups don't know how to do this because they don't really understand what is their core business and what are add-ons, you know, what are upsales and so forth. So it's, it's, it's really good to try to understand that. And then towards the end, you present your team. You can also share that at the beginning. Uh, doesn't matter that much, but, um, but definitely after the first slide, right, of presenting the idea. Uh, you have the teams. Uh, the team members, if you have any significant, you know, background of each one of them, uh, that's good to have on one slide. Here you see the Airbnb uh, founding team here, what their backgrounds are, where they've worked in the past, you know, they built some stuff for Facebook or, or other experiences. So it makes them qualified and it, it builds trust for the for the investors or for the donors to really believe, yes, these guys are serious about it and they're gonna make this thing happen. 
Uh, here's a couple of tips when you're presenting uh, any other additional information or any information for that matter, make sure that you present it in a very legible way, in an easy way for people to understand. So if you have a map with all these dots in here, uh, it's easier to understand than if you just list all the, all the countries in one slide. So uh, that's key. Finances, that's basically your ask. In the end, you need to have a call to action. Right, as we know, including in every sermon, you should have that. Right, there's a call to action, and the call to action here is what? What do we need? We need a an angel round of you know an angel investing round of five hundred thousand. This is what we're looking for. What are you guys? Uh, what are you willing to do? Uh, part of that is really you you really design your ask around the the investor that you're talking to. Um, if you're priced too high. Uh, then the investor thinks, you know, then I cannot really make a difference. So then they, they retract. Usually they won't donate anything. If you're asking for 20,000 and he only has capacity for 1,000, he'll probably not even give you the 1,000 because, because uh, you asked for 20. So, so try to be sensitive uh, to that. Now for the end, I just want to say here's the, um, the global summits that we're doing with Hive and ASI together. Uh, I, all of you guys are invited. We're, expe we're expecting uh, a thousand people to come. We're going to have many, many, a few hundred startups uh, presenting, pitching their startups. You can actually uh, submit your pitch on our website. If you go to hiveinternational.org, hive with a Y, um, then you can, you can uh, register there and you can look into more details of the startup conference that we're that we're um, looking at doing. So if you're in a startup or you're an investor or uh, just an innovator that want to help some of these startups, we're going to do consulting for uh, all the participants. Uh, whoever wants to wants some help, wants coaching, um, we're going to be doing these kind of things also for free at the event uh, for participants. And, and, uh, and many other things, yeah. So seminars from many of the, the most successful Avenus business leaders and so forth that will be there and will be happy to help anybody. And also the investors will be there and listening to your guys' pitches and your startups. So, so you're all welcome to go to the website and also pre-register for the event and register your pitch, okay? Um, my last slide here is basically if you want this presentation and you want more information about Hive or anything that we're doing there, uh, um, you can just go here, pull out your phone, and you can um, uh, basically scan the QR code and it'll take you to, the, to a, a sign-up place where you can just put in your email and I'll send you the presentation then uh from this from this of this presentation here okay you can also type in from the the this the, the url here at the bottom if you like okay that was it now we're open for questions hey jesse we have a couple questions the first one is should you look for adventist investors if you are an adventist Okay, so that's a 
an interesting question. It really depends on your idea uh, and what you want to do with the idea. So if you want investors, uh, if you're doing a general startup outside, I'm not totally opposed uh, to having some non-Avenist um, investors. Um, I would I would definitely be careful about how much of the equity you give or how much control you give to uh, someone that is not an Adventist. Uh, my philosophy or our philosophy at Hive also is that any business that is developed, that we help develop also has as its focus a spiritual impact of some sort. And so because that is really part of our calling, part of all of our callings, um, I generally recommend to get Avenist investors versus versus non-Avenist investors, and uh, but not any just any Avenist investor. You really want to get investors that are, uh, depending on how much control you give them. Of course, if they just give you the money, that's fine. Uh, if they if they want more control, which is fine too, but you just need to uh, make sure that you are on the same page on a number of things, on how to do evangelism through the company or how to, uh, what the focus is on profitability and, and all of, you know, a number of things so that you don't get into conflict later on. You know, I've unfortunately had some, some experiences there that are, you know, that it cost me uh, quite a bit of money to, to, uh, to then buy people out and stuff. And it's not, it's not a very nice experience. So just make sure that you really are comfortable with the people that are investing with you. Uh, and even if they're non-Adventist, which is maybe not ideal, but you know, that at least some of the values or, uh, and so forth are really aligned. Uh, it's not so easy to find that, but, but so generally, yes, I would stick to Adventists. I think that's uh, more, more uh, you get more value uh, that way. Yeah, but they need to be also good in business, you know, otherwise they just give you money and they don't give you any expertise. Perfect. Thank you. The next question, I think you answered through um, talking about the summit, but are there, is there another forum where you can bring, we can bring Avenist investors and entrepreneurs together? Yeah, so I, I, I totally am a believer in this, this here, here we go. Um, you're, I, we have obviously we created Hive, um, and ASI is is um, is a co-organizer of also this the global summit here. Uh, these are really the the places, the networks that are really dedicated to helping you be successful at your startup. If you're doing more in the ministry side, uh, if you're looking for a nonprofit, starting a nonprofit, we also help with nonprofits, uh, making sure that they're uh, really uh, funded well and self-sustainable um, in, in, you know, having a good model. You know, just because it's nonprofit doesn't mean that they're not making profit, right? It's just that the profit is, is used to put back into the into the into the nonprofit, into the business, it's not taken out. So, um, so we, we still help with that, but OCI 
I don't know if you know OCI, OCI, Outpost Centers International, uh, is really probably the, the leading organization for helping nonprofits uh, be successful in leadership and so forth. They have a lot of expertise in that area. So in the business side, uh, this is this hive would probably be uh, the the network or the the community um, that can help you. Yeah. Perfect. And we have one minute left to answer our last question, and that is, how long should investors be committed to your project? Is it for the entire project, or will that vary? So usually, in the terms of the investment, you should have there some time as to what, uh, what the length is of their investment, of their loan or of their whatever they're investing, and also what the terms are for uh, leaving the company. So there's usually terms for how they would be bought out. Uh, if you didn't want them to be part of it anymore, or if they wanted to leave, you know, all of these things should be pretty much determined um, at the, at the get-go. And usually you have that, um, uh, you wanna have a generally a long-term relationship uh, with these people if they're good investors. Uh, but you can also, sometimes you just need it to, to get started and then you can pay them back and, and some are willing to do that, especially missionally oriented investors. They wanna invest their money not lose their money, but get their money back eventually to be able to invest into another project that also needs to get off of their feet. So, so um, I, think, I think there's a lot of value about talking about that ahead of time and also putting it into the contract. So as a follow-up to that, how much equity should you give an angel investor? So it really depends what, uh, what you're doing and what they're doing. You know, in some cases, uh, in some cases, it's if if you're uh, just you have a skill like you're a good cook or something, right? And the investor that's coming in really has all of the business experience um, and is willing to take on that 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 role in that business. Then often you'll give even more than fifty percent because um, you want him to really be able to make the smart decisions. But you need to be able to trust that person. And he will be uh, he will make it successful. Now, um, usually that would not be the case. So usually it's more that you give investors based on the value of the company. So whatever your company valuation is, uh, uh, and 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 there's a number of ways to find that find that number. Um, then you give them an equity. For that, so if they're they're giving ten percent of that valuation, then you know they should get ten percent of equity, or or not equity depending on what the model is that you're trying to do. So, uh, but usually you don't give too much uh, control uh, because also for investors it's not the most usually the most um, of large of the biggest interest of them to take the company away from you, you know, or take the take the ownership away from you because they're not the ones that are wanting to run the business. Usually they're the ones that want, that want you to be motivated to run the business. So they're not going to want to take all the equity away from you. So, uh, so usually it would be a minority. There's a certain laws in certain countries 
that if you have over 25% of the equity, then it then they have more liability. So certain investors will want to have less or more regardless, you know, depending on the situation of that. But usually it's really based on the valuation of the company. And I said, I know I had one last question. I promise this is the last one. I thought it was really interesting. So it says, I've heard of horror stories of when Avenist entrepreneurs don't work out with Avenist investors. How do you mitigate through these problems? So usually anybody that you get on the business, into the business, it's like a marriage. It's almost like a marriage, okay? Um, you can, unless you have yeah, really good terms and conditions, um, but you're really in business with them. There, you're going to be talking a lot with them. Uh, so, so don't sweat it. Like, don't go too fast into this kind of a relationship. Make sure that you're really on the same page in terms of how you want to run the company, how you want to distribute profits, how you want to um, do evangelism. How focused are you on profit? How, 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 you know, how all of these things, you really have to be on the same page uh, and have it in writing if any way possible, because the brain easily forgets. So, so um, yeah, as the more you have clear from the start, then the easier the relationship will be in the, in, in the long run. So, so yes, horror stories, you know, Adventists are just because they're Adventists doesn't mean that they're Christian, right? Or it doesn't mean that they're really led by the spirit. So, so um, you, you want to be sensitive to these things um, as well, right? So, so um, yeah, there's always horror stories, but you know, I'll tell you this, there's not more horror stories within the Adventist circles in this, in this arena than there is outside of the Adventist circle. So <laughs> everybody has these problems and the, the, the issue is to, to not make these mistakes in the process so that you end up with the people that you actually want to work with. Excellent presentation. I think this wraps it all up. I want to thank Jesse for joining us this afternoon, and I want to thank everyone who also joined. Hopefully you found this beneficial, and feel free to log in later on um, to be able to get the full presentation um, available. Thank you all. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.